Hey, thanks for joining us on this week's episode of the Big Self Podcast. Today, we speak with Barbara Dale Pedse. She's a speaker, author, and seminar leader with two decades of experience living and working all over the place from Hong Kong to China to Singapore, Canada, and the U.S. She works to inspire others, especially entrepreneurs and leaders, to reconnect with their purpose. She does that in a variety of ways. And one thing about this conversation that we think you'll find interesting is we led off wanting to talk about her new book, an inspirational memoir called The Unexpected Gift, in which she talks about some of the personal transformation that she went through after an unexpected and pretty traumatic divorce experience. And we were just going with that and suddenly the the conversation framed up in these seven steps for transformation that she recommends. And we found it to be unexpected, organic, and a really powerful conversation. We hope you'll find the same. Hi, Barbara. Welcome to the Big Self Podcast. We're so glad to have you with us. Hi, thank you. It is my honor to be here with you. Thank you, guys. Barbara Dale Pedse. So honored to have you on here. It is our honor. Yes. And you're in Italy time. So it's a little bit later there. So thank you. <laughs> My yeah, pleasure. And, uh, and one of the things you have a, a book out that you, uh, I think, published uh, earlier this year. So congratulations on that book's release. Thank you so much. Thank you. It is. Yeah. And, uh, well, it's. <laughs> It's it's uh, it's a powerful story of personal transformation after your a sudden and unexpected divorce. So who who is your book for, and and why did you write it? Yes, tell us about your book. The book uh, is written for people that are going through very difficult uh, situation, or they are going through traumatic events they did that they did not expect. And uh, uh, the reason why I wrote it is because, first of all, I would love for people to find some uh, help and uh, a path for healing in the book because it tells uh, the path I went through and what worked for me. And the the other reason I wrote it is because when I was going through this uh, experience that was very painful and traumatic, uh, I couldn't find any book at the time that would uh, speak to me and would somehow give me hope that what I was going through would have eventually ended in a good way. Um, and and mm-hmm. so I decided that uh, once my story was complete and I knew the ending, <laughs> I wanted to write about it. And uh, I consider it a book from the future because when you are going through uh, something so painful and so difficult, uh, and you have a book that uh, somebody that went through uh, this, it is kind of, uh, uh, I wanted to be a voice from the future that can tell, don't worry, you're going to be fine, no matter what it looks like right now and how much pain you are experiencing. And so I decided to write it and I did. So Barbara, you know, you you quote Martin Heidegger, 
as you know, he said in your book, and you say, I love this quote, mm-hmm. there is always something exceeding reality as we know it. There is always something that is beyond what we know and understand, and that is intrinsic in the nature of life. And your story of transformation through the shock and pain of being blindsided by a divorce just after you moved to a foreign country, that really led to um, you know, a suffering and some hard-won experiences so that in a way you can be a voice from the future, uh, helping others. Like what, what do you think it is about like, first of all, I guess just suffering and difficult experiences that help us to, to make these leaps? Well, I believe that, um, pain gives us a special power. I say that pain gives us x-ray capacity. <laughs> we become capable to see people differently, to kind of see through um, situations. And really, we notice and become aware of so much that normally when we are not in pain, we don't even notice. It is as if uh, a pain takes us to the margins, the limit of our normal awareness and uh, we simply pain simply expands our capacity to see and that's why it is also so uh, challenging Mm -hmm. sometimes to be with people that are in pain uh, because uh, they they really see more they see through you and uh, you often feel awkward and you don't feel um at ease if you are not in integrity with yourself um, often. And mm-hmm. so in, it is my experience, for example, that I w- when I was going through uh, that intense uh, uh, pain, um, often I was aware that people were not so at ease by being next to me because uh, they didn't know wh- what to say they didn't know how to behave they didn't know how to be next to a person that was so much in pain and often i would find myself uh, in a position to reassure them that that was okay and so that they didn't feel um too much um um in an awkward in an awkward position so i do believe yeah. that people who suffer a lot um they are forced by pain and they can choose to respond to pain in a in a positive way by really expanding uh, who they are and on this, the, the knowledge of who they are and also uh, they have a chance to see themselves um in a new light although it is painful and to see people mm-hmm. in a new light so I have a question, Barbara. You mentioned earlier, <clears throat> excuse me, the, that you had, there was a process by which you kind of moved through the suffering um, and can kind of come out of that. Can you talk a little bit about the process and, and how you capture that in your book um, and, and the truth that it might be able to give people who are in a lot of pain right now? Yes, uh, the, the 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 process I I mention in my book is uh, what I found that for me worked very well, mm-hmm. and it is um, and and it was a process that actually uh, helped me to uh, reconnect with myself 
again because when something like that like m- the implosion of my marriage uh, out of the blue <laughs> mm-hmm. um was suddenly was certainly unexpected and so um what i found that worked for me was uh, seven steps that took me to where I was in the midst of pain to little by little to places where I could bear what was going on and eventually mm-hmm. find myself and rebuild myself and my life. Um, so the, the first the first of these, if, if that's okay, I can go through very quickly. I would love that. Yes, please. So, so the first thing that I found that worked for me um, and that was actually... Um, was kind of forced to me was to um, awaken to my story. I am um, an Italian person. I am a woman, and I was brought up uh, in an Italian uh, culture, which is a Christian Catholic culture. And uh, but in my particular environment, uh, what I've always expected uh, and envisioned for myself as a woman was to be married, to have kids, to have a great family, good friends, uh, have a job, uh, um, have, yes, a career, and that would be it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but when I decided to leave my country and to uh, go abroad, I encountered new cultures, I encountered diversity. And when this happened, I was in the midst of diversity, in the midst of what was not familiar. And so I had to awaken to a story that was my life that actually was not what I've always thought and what I expected. And uh, I had to become aware that what I imagined for myself was actually a limited vision. And Mm -hmm. so I had to come to terms with it and I had to learn to own my story, the one I believed in before and the one that uh, disappeared in front of my eyes. And uh, and that now I was facing a, bl- a white canvas in front of me. And that was still my life and that was still my story, just that I never thought about it. And now I had uh, the chance to look at what it could possibly be uh, beyond my tradition, beyond what mm-hmm. I've always uh, thought that it will be, beyond the values that I've always learned. So everything that I never thought of was there in front of me and I had to face it and choose something out of it and build it. So that was my first step. So that's the first step is the telling and owning your story, really. What's the second one? The second one, um, I found that for me, uh, was building radical uh, relationships. Mm, Oh, you got to tell us about that. In the midst of uh, in the midst of pain, what saved me uh, was the presence of my what I call in my book radical friends, who are those friends that uh, really care about you. It might be friends that you have for a long time, or it might be friends that you just met, but you know those people that actually. Uh, they, you feel that they actually care about you. They, they took the time to know you. They, they are there for you. And in, in, the, in the specific, actually, radical friends are are those that you. I was blessed with uh, long term friends, mm-hmm. twenty, thirty years by now friends. And yeah. uh, those are the one that uh, really uh, can sing your song, the song that is your own that it is that reminds you of who you are even when everything collapses and those people are there to remind you 
of yourself when you have no energy and no um, no heart to remind yourself or yourself. And to me, having those radical friends was a lifesaver. Because mm-hmm. even if they could not actually understand my experience because they didn't go through something like that, um, nonetheless, them being there, holding a space, yeah. That that was uh, um, that 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 was a lifesaver for me. So second step, I, I I I say in my book, and I invite people to really invest in friendships, mm-hmm. invest in people that you know that you can have a great relationship with, and uh, because because you need people who love you and authentically love you both when you go through difficult times and when you go through very good times because sharing something positive also requires requires friends relationships yeah yeah that's yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I'll just say real quick, I, um, I've studied the science of happiness for a long time and quality of relationships is probably, I would rank up maybe number one, it, definitely yeah. number two of the conditions that we need to have like create happy, meaningful life. So I'm, I'm a high fiving you here. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So what's um, what's the third step? The, the third step, and and they might not be in order. Somebody right. might explain in a different sure. order. Can kind of jump this, around. This was for me. Yeah. Um, the third step is finding clarity of mind, because uh, in my experience, when this happened, uh, um, it was unexpected and it made no sense, because uh, um, I. From my perspective, I we had a good relationship with my husband. Uh, we were trying to get pregnant, and um, things were going smooth. Were okay, ups and downs as it normally happens. But to mm-hmm. me, that was not at all a situation where I could expect something like this happening. So when mm-hmm. it did, I was completely blown away, and I had absolutely no idea what was going on, and everything suddenly did not make sense anymore. What I thought about my life, about myself, about my husband, nothing made sense. And so for me, it was important. And that's what I, I, I searched for a long time, the truth about what was going on. I have to say that I didn't have the luxury of my husband helping because he simply kind of disappeared and didn't want to talk to me about what, what was going on. And so for me, it was really important to uh, find a level of uh, clarity within me because when situations and the context doesn't help and and Mm -hmm. people don't help, still I realized that I did need to find for myself a deeper level at which I was at least clear about my role, what I did and and what reality for me uh, was about in that moment. So for me, that was extremely important. I am a philosopher by training, <laughs> and so for me, things need to make sense <laughs> yes. a lot. Right. And so, so and, and I'll just throw out this: you got a PhD in ontology, <laughs> so I, I presume <laughs> that this is one of the ways that you uh, sought to get some clarity. That's right, a doctor of philosophy in <laughs> ontology. So that's like that's like doubling down on philosophy, right? Yes, because because uh, with ontology, what you are looking for 
is uh, to clarify concepts like being existence. Yeah. <laughs> oh, right. And this kind of thing. So for me, it was uh, it was really useful that I had that training. And at the same time, it was kind of a curse because I needed the clarity that I know I could uh, get or I thought mm-hmm. I could get by thinking things through or studying or exploring, right, what philosophy told me. But in this particular case, the clarity that I managed to find by myself was, in fact, a kind of an inner peace that I gave myself by doing all I could, doing my part, and then be patient, even if the side uh, coming from my ex-husband was not there. And so um, I develop when I when I say finding clarity of mind within it. I also uh, add some a level of uh, humility mm. in the sense that I realize that anyway I could not get the entire picture by myself, mm. and so I needed to be uh, content for the time being for by um, finding my my side of that mm-hmm. clarity if it makes sense what i say yeah, yeah it makes me think of reality testing a little bit because <clears throat> you know we have a perspective and i would imagine going through something like this that it does feel really muddled like wait what's happening what's the truth like what what you yeah. know how did this happen how did we get here yeah um, so yeah this t- this st- step this stage look to me sounds a lot of like kind of going in and being really honest with yourself, but also giving permission to, I don't know, like reality testing or like, I don't have the full story. I don't have the, the whole picture here. And so the fact that you just said humility, um, I think speaks to that a lot. I love that. Yeah. That that thank you. That that was exactly uh, what I what I meant to say, and that mm-hmm. that was very powerful for me too. Um, the the fourth step mm-hmm. was for me um, enlisting enlisting the body, enlisting mm-hmm. to the body, because uh, um, I realized that my body became my night. My mind was racing from one thought to the other, trying to find. Uh, that clarity and trying to find some sense and logic in what happened. My heart was crashed. Mm. <laughs> it was in much pain. And and I was, uh, fortunately, I was healthy. And so my body and I have a, a strong body was the one sustaining me mm. in the sense that to find some peace and inner peace, I decided that uh, using my body and hiking and walking a lot would have helped me. And so, uh, and so I did, um, I was un- lucky enough to have the time to do it because I just finished my PhD when this happened. And so I didn't have a job yet. And so the, the, I was lucky in the sense that I had the time to really hike for hours during the day, uh, in order to find, to produce some endorphins and to have my body producing energy for me that I mm. needed so much. And I found the job in the evening. So in the evening, I would go to work, I was teaching. And then by the time I was finished with my teaching and I would go back home, 
my body was so tired and so tired that basically would drag my mind, my heart, myself, everybody to sleep. <laughs> and so uh, going to bed, yeah. everybody. <laughs> That's a, that sounds like a great healing strategy to be sure to keep yourself from being in your head maybe too much. Yeah, I, I really resonate with what you're saying, Barbara, because I have not been through a divorce, but I've been through some other dark times um, and suffering. And the stages you're talking about, I think I've, I've not put them this way, but really mimic uh, mm-hmm. what I went through. And this the stage of, of being back in my body. And I was never, I never really befriended my body anyway. It was mm-hmm. always like, mm-hmm. I never wanted to exercise. I never wanted, I was, I, I would have pretended to just be a walking head. Um, but when I went through some really tough times, that was the the invitation to get back in my body. And I did. And I started working out and I still, you still am working you, out. Yeah. Five you've years been in later. your body ever since. And it really <laughs> is there's something about that metabolizing, um, yeah. the stress yeah. hormones, like all the stuff that's happening in our, in our hearts and our minds that our bodies have to be a part of that too. And we also, I'll add this. We, you know, we, we talk a good bit about the Enneagram as a prism through which, you know, we can understand ourselves a little bit more as well. And, you know, we all have these three centers of intelligence, the heart, the head, and the body. And, mm-hmm. you know, and, and even, the, even if we lean in uh, with one a little bit more than another, like, I don't know what your Enneagram type is, Barbara, but it sounds like you could be a head type. I don't know, but it sounds like super healthy that you were getting uh, into your body there as well. Absolutely. I wouldn't know what my Enneagram type is, Chad, yeah. but definitely in that experience, uh, I, I was in my mind and my mind became really like, it was as if it it kept me at war mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and that's why the body was so powerful yeah. my that 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 that's a blessing it, it was it was a blessing so i i'm totally with you and still today i kept the habit of uh, exercising a lot and uh, hiking and being in nature and mm-hmm. observing nature and breathing into nature because that's so powerful as well and so healthy so i i i keep doing that Mm, that's awesome. That time. What's so step, step five? five. Are we on five? We're on five. Okay. We are on five. And step five uh, um, are mentors, partner, partnering mm. with mentors. Um, one experience that was very powerful for me during that time was that even if I had my radical friends, uh, if, that even if I had my family and they all loved me very much, they did not go through uh, such an intense and painful experience themselves. And so I could actually see, feel, and sense that even if they were there, they could not um, accompany me. They could not meet me where I was, really. And uh, there was a lot of loneliness there. And uh, I needed someone and that's also why I wrote the book I said before, but I needed someone that went through something similar and that I could feel I was close to. And I found actually an amazing community, and I call them the giant of the souls, in survival of uh, uh, concentration camps experiences during Second World War. Um, I love readings. 
I, I love reading books. And so I started reading literature and the memoir and the story of people that survived that experience. And um, I'm, I'm not saying I'm not comparing my experience with that. Right. Theirs, but there was so much more intense and more painful and more traumatic. And what they were writing in their books, actually, they I, I realized that they were teaching me how to overcome what I was going through. I was um, looking at how they were thinking while in concentration camp, how they behaved, what they were looking for, what they were hoping. And somehow by reading books after books of these uh, amazing giant of the soul, I, I felt like, okay, this is a community I belong. They were actually showing me how to overcome what I was going through that my family and my friends couldn't know because they didn't go through something so dramatic. And so um, I found in them the people I could be on the shoulders of and they could they showed me how to move forward from that side of pain where I was. And that was amazing because they yeah. were they, they are giant of the soul and they wrote books about it and I thought that by reading their work and they were talking to me and they the contribution the contribution even if the situation was not at all the same but the contribution and the help I got from them um, is immense and in fact there is a chapter which is partnering with mentors where I speak about them and and I, I speak about what they taught me and uh, how I was able to shift my way of thinking about the situation and my way of experiencing it and that was extremely powerful actually. Well and that's an interesting way I think of thinking about Men, a mentor, you know, as you know, um, when you first mentioned um, finding a mentor, I was like, well, you got to go out and find someone who's a little older than you and maybe better. Uh, and I think that that's a. I think there's wonderful mentors in books. I was just thinking of Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning was what came to my mind as you were sharing, Barbara. Yeah. <clears throat> and that's a book I love and try to read uh, often. Yeah, as much as I can. And then I was also thinking about Parker Palmer, who is yeah. um, an author and scholar here in the States. And the books that he's written have definitely mentored me. He doesn't yeah. know he's my mentor, but he is. <laughs> well, you've sure. recently told him, so he knows now. Yeah, but anyway. <laughs> Um, yeah, so that's, that's a fascinating way of like, you know, it, reading books doesn't just mean you're in your head, you know, of mm -hmm. course you can, uh, find mentors that way. That's that, that is an interesting, uh, example. Yes. Also because, uh, um, when people spend time to write their stories as it was for me, as it was for these, these amazing, um, mentors as because I believe they do they do believe that they have something to say and the story that they have lived is important to share. And yeah, so they wanted to be, I could see them being voices from the future for you. Exactly. Exactly. That that's exactly, that's exactly it. And that's exactly what they did for me. I am so grateful. And, and that's also why I love books and stories that books tell us about real people and their, and their memoir. So this is the fifth step. Partners yes. and mentors. Okay. 
Number six. <laughs> Number six. Number six is uh, um, what I call forwarding the future. And uh, it happens when uh, you went you went through the pain. You know that there are people there that are there for you. Even if you think nobody's there, but at least if you look carefully, you have somebody there. You have worked hard to find clarity of mind and you have your own peace. You have paid attention to your body and you are actually listening to your body and let your you're letting your body support you in a new way. You have looked for mentors that speak from the future and now you are in a position of hoping again because uh, you have set yourself up kind of in a new dimension and so you can dare to dream about a future you can dare to have a vision of the future again because as it happened for me before this moment uh, I didn't know how to think about my future anymore because the frame of references that I've always had in the past they did not um, hold in that moment and so I needed to have the courage and be daring and there to have a new vision for myself. And at this, at this point, I am ready to really think about a new future and forwarding it and start actually making the first steps into consciously and intentionally living the new future. And so you become, uh, I think the key word is conscious of the new and intentional in actually exploring, experimenting, and uh, step into this new future that until that point, at least as it was for me, um, it was scary, too scary to, to tap into. Um, I have a quick question. I'm curious where, <clears throat> where grieving fits in. To, is it kind of happening throughout each stage? Does it Is this the point where you maybe move through it. I don't know if you ever do. Uh, I'm just curious kind of how you've thought about yeah. grief. Oh, I think that it was uh, a constant grief situation. Grieving was uh, always there. Actually, the healing process happens in grieving. And uh, um, I think that till the moment when I have... Uh, actually connected with forgiveness um the the grieving was always there and and grieving is a is a is a diverse um experience it is like really walking a, a path where you where you go through different villages right but in all villages there is this atmosphere where there is grief there it is there. It is there. It is just. Uh, it does just has different tones, different colors, mm -hmm. right? Wow. Yeah. I mean, whether you're, it's what denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. If we're listening to Elizabeth Kubler Ross, yeah, um, and yeah, and that's interesting to think about. You know, each one has a village with a certain <laughs> yeah. tone. Yeah. The, yeah. That's because, yeah. Each stage that that can happen in a different order, as we know, um, is an experience in itself. And you do need to go through all those villages, all those colors, all those tones in order to um, really tap into the corner of your soul and, and free that from the pain and transform the pain that is 
hidden maybe somewhere inside of you or back to the metaphor of the village you need to enter each village and explore the houses and talk to the people there and and allow for what for whatever is revealed by these encounters to to, to emerge and 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 to show up wow um, th- that is uh, right. this is cool drum roll this is what's number that? seven <laughs> <our> final step <laughs> And the final step, actually, I call it paying it forward. Because by, oh, nice. by the time we have been going, uh, going through this and um, it happened to me, what you start to realize is that this path through the villages, <laughs> since you mentioned this, this path yeah. through the village was paid with precious stones. There were people that uh, actually wanted to help you acquaintances that just jumped in and wanted to help you. Just to give you an example, when these things happened, uh, I was just finished with my PhD. So I had a PhD, but I did not have a job. My former husband was not, uh, um, I, I didn't get any support from him, financial support, and I had to rebuild everything. And so a person that I, that I met um, maybe a couple of months before, um, she heard about these and she knew three ladies that uh, somehow they were they belonged to the aristocracy british aristocracy in in hong kong and uh, they knew about my situation so they invented that they wanted to have conversation in italian about philosophy about art about culture and they were ready to pay for that and so they were i call them my my angels because they were the first people that uh, um, given me the opportunity to actually support myself by simply inventing that they wanted to have conversations with me and pay me for that. Mm-hmm. So things like these or or um, people that just offer me to stay in apartments that they had or friends of theirs had and they were empty be- until I decided what I wanted to do and, and what I could do. Uh, others that would offer me other kinds of uh, simple jobs, the ones that I actually was capable of doing with the amount of energy that I had at the time. And so by the end of this journey, I realized that there was so much love that was um, that, that, that was that I was given. and um, and this was really um, unexpected. I didn't realize it while I was going through, the path because I was too much in pain, but as soon as the pain um, was um, not as intense and and my process of healing was moving towards a different stage, I realized of so much, so many gifts I was given. And Mm -hmm. so um, I decided that the next step in order to not only completely heal, but actually transform yourself to a better human being is to pay it forward. And Mm so from that moment on with where I was and still today for what I do and what I can do, there is always part of what I do and who I am that pays it forward because uh, uh, this is, this is life is a gift from life and, uh, I want to give it back. And so uh, that completes the healing and the transformation of, uh, of the person because we do, people had an impact in my life and uh, each one of us, no matter where we come from, or what is our story, we can contribute to the life of others. 
Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. That is, I feel like, I hope our audience feels the same way. It's rich. That There's a lot uh, there. And, you know, sometimes we ask for specifics to a question from our guests uh, and we we keep asking and we're, we keep searching for it. We keep getting generalities. You just went deep and very specific <laughs> on, on one of our uh, first questions, but boy, that was uh, yeah, a teaching that moment. I have a question because you are also a global leadership consultant. <clears throat> so I'm curious how. Yeah, now she's worldwide. Yes, <laughs> that's right. So how does how has this transpersonal transformation impacted your work? Oh, it has impacted it immensely because the work I do now on leadership always begins with the inner work of leadership that stems from this experience. Leadership to me is, first of all, be a leader of yourself. And to do that, you need to know yourself. So what I, what my story kind of forced me to do in a very brutal but potent way, uh, I know that it is extremely important if we want to be great leaders because uh, um, knowing who we are from the inside out, and I have a great metaphor that I'm going to share with you, um, is 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 essential if we want then to lead other people and influence other in a good way. Um, so my story for me is a proof that self-leadership is where we start, is where we start. And in fact, the work I do, and here is my metaphor, um, if you imagine a beautiful watch, um, imagine a Pate Philippe, it's my favorite at the moment, <laughs> And uh, Patefilic, some of their models, if you look at that the gla- through the glass, the, the engine of the watch are there. You can see them. You can see all the little pieces of it. You can see all the, 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 the tiniest element that constitute the movement of the watch. And you see all those pieces that are, that are shining, that are beautiful they move together there is uh, they flow together and they create the movement that that is the watch and gives you the time the work of leadership that i do that start with self leadership is to explore get to know uh, oil <laughs> all those parts that are inside of us if there are pieces that are a little bit rusty we change them or if there are pieces that are broken we can take some some parts that are new and we substitute them or we make sure that our inner engine works properly so that we become free not only free to be ourselves and when i say this it doesn't mean a fixed self but it means a self that continues to move and expand and be better but we are we become free to actually uh, observe and pay attention to others outside of us and uh, we we are not constantly concerned with ourselves with our ego with what we need because we have taken care of it in a mature mm-hmm. and evolved way and so now we we can focus on the outside and we can pay attention to others help them grow uh, contribute and create something beautiful um in the world and yes yeah Oh, I didn't mean to cut you off no 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 it was just saying that everything starts from uh, from self leadership. Well, we could not agree more with that. Preach. Yeah. Yes. I mean, <laughs> it, you, how can you disagree with Socrates, right? And he wasn't the first one to say, 
<laughs> know thyself. But here, so okay, so we do. We preach this message as well. We believe in it deeply. Um, but okay, so practically, you know, as you're dealing with leaders and you're teaching. Uh, and to me, this is really my last question. I mean, I, th- I think because if, if I could get some wisdom and insight into this, this would be, this would be a great um, episode too, because, there, you know, you do negotiation and conflict resolution and you're trying to, so a lot of these leaders, let me get, let me get to what I'm saying is a lot of these leaders get to be leaders because they're, they're capable under stress to get the job done. They just do it. And maybe they have an impatience for other people. Uh, they, they see, they see all this stuff is like kind of weakness. And so I guess I'm going to ask kind of two questions. One is like, so if you're a leader and you're trying to help this leader who's maybe having some dysfunction in the system, how do you help them uncover their blind spots, especially when they're initially, they've, you know, so many of them have got to be resistant because they've got this hubris because they're leading people, you know? And so I guess and my, I got two questions. How do you help them uncover their blind spots? And, and do we, you know, like you went through, do we all necessarily need to go through a kind of a shock in order to be able to be willing to see our blind spots and change? Uh, or is, are there other ways to lead the horse to water? <laughs> Thank you, Chad, for these questions. So, um, let me say, let me start from the second one. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't think that we all need to go through a traumatic event to actually uh, start the process of evolution, as I call it. Actually, um, what we need to do, which is actually answering now the second part, the, the first question, uh, what we, we want to learn to do is to be vigilant and be actually aware that what is going on is not everything that is going on. One one of my favorite quotes is that there is never nothing going on, which also means that there is always something else going on. And so when our situation seems to be uh, perfect and in balance, we are grateful for that and we, we remain in a positive attitude and we are joyful. And at the same time, we become aware there is... A, that there is a deeper level or a higher level that we can uh, explore and uh, um, and discover and that could expand ourselves and our life and so that we don't go through shocks <laughs> and we have yeah. that first step, the awakening to our own story, right? So uh, I, I would say that we just need to be vigilant uh, and uh, keep in mind that there is always something else exceeding our story and who we are, and uh, we want to be open to 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 explore. I think this is um, what I would say as to the second question. And the first one: How do I get leaders to look into their blind spot? Um, w- blind spots are where um, where we are frustrated or difficulties are there. So when there is there are situations that don't. Uh, give us peace even if we achieve we get the job done we are performing but we are not in peace there is something that we are not paying attention to there is something that we are not giving attention to and this is a, this is enough uh, um, a call to action in this sense so um, blind spot 
you reach them and you find them by uh, paying attention to the way you feel in situations where you think you are doing a great job. And yet there is that thing inside that is kind of uh, uh, disturbing you, right? And, and that is, to me, a call for exploration. And, and, that's, uh, and that's where I start when I work uh, with, with leaders, right? I start to meet them where they are and where they are, what are these uh, um, kind of inner conflict or conflict that they are bringing to the table and to the conversation. So. I call that <clears throat> subtle dissatisfaction because <laughs> it is, it's this subtle kind of like, okay, something's not, something's off, something's not working right. And I, I love that you're talking about kind of the practice of self-observation is the way I think of it. <clears throat> and it really is, um, it's a practice. It's something that we have to come to with intention and so many people not only do they not come to it with intention, they actively avoid it. They actively mm. avoid watching yeah. themselves and learning and asking these questions. So um, I think that's the challenge with a mm. lot of in leadership positions is that this is really hard work and I don't really want to do it. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, most of them will be like, oh, I can tell you who the problem is right now. And it's you not know? me. It's him. <laughs> Yes, this this is the most difficult situation to be in when they are in denial. There is a an intentional avoidance of going there where you know you would need to go in order to move forward and and make a, a leap. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I think that there's those are maybe when the shock points happen. When eventually, eventually, because those moments of um, avoidance can only last so long. And, and I do think about, you know, the, the events that come at us that we did not choose. Um, if we do this work that you're talking about, Barbara, with humility, I think they do have the potential to transform us. Absolutely. I, uh, I couldn't agree more. Well, absolutely. Uh, it is wonderful to be able to speak with you from across the pond. And th <laughs> thanks for making time. I want to say really quickly, too, thank yeah. you for writing this book. You know, I think about so many people over the last year and a half who, are, who I don't know that they would call it grief, but I think have definitely gone through these shock points and traumatic moments and really, I know people are There's having a, a hard time finding their footing and like coming out of just the emotional turmoil. And so I, this is a gift to them. This is you paying it forward. And so I'm just grateful that you wrote it. So thank you. Thank you so thank much. You thank you very much for saying this. And uh, thank you very much for this conversation, guys. Mm -hmm.